0: This podcast is brought to you by UpCase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at UpCase.com.
1: Hello,
0: and welcome to Reboot, where we talk about taking leaps and switching careers. I'm Adarsh Pundit, a developer here at ThoughtBot in San Francisco. I arrived here after previous careers in management consulting and academic science. On the show, I'll be talking with other people who've made similar big career changes and how they've done it. In episode one of our first season, we'll talk with Gordon Fontenot, an iOS developer here at Thoughtbot, about his career path, moving from college dropout to bartender to film editor. So uh, I just want to start with a bit of warm up. Tell me, I guess, what you do now for work.
1: Uh, so I'm an iOS developer here at Thoughtbot. And how long have you been doing it? Uh, two years. Next Wednesday.
0: Oh, ah, congratulations in advance. Thank you thank you what did you do immediately before this
1: uh immediately before this i was doing uh film editing for about six years wow
0: and how did you get into that
1: i was living in texas so i'm from texas originally and i was waiting tables and bartending and had kind of dropped out of college and trying to make paychecks you know yeah where were you studying originally in college general studies nice. <laughs> so if you want to go you want to go back farther so i did i did some programming stuff when i was in high school right yeah. i like screwed around on the web doing some javascript never got real serious bought a bunch of books didn't understand them
0: what books uh, did you buy
1: the like the javascript o'reilly javascript books you
0: javascript know. the good parts no no the just most... like
1: the big tome looking ones mm-hmm. and i was like trying to read through those and not good. I took a programming class in high school. This is like a little town in the middle of nowhere, so we were just like doing Q basic, that kind of stuff. Uh, but never got real serious with it. Thought it was fun, but never never really took it that seriously. So I went to college. I applied to UT, and I didn't get into UT. I got into uh, – they have this program where they'll send you to one of their satellite schools, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have a 3.0 GPA and 30 hours inside two semesters, then you get automatic acceptance for your sophomore year into the main campus, which is a great deal. And it's designed specifically to weed people like me out of the system, (laughs) right? Because I, (laughs) I got into college and I just did not do well in that environment. And I didn't do well at that college. And so I ended up you know, I was there for three semesters and and kind of dropped out. Um, but I had gone for general studies with kind of this vague idea that maybe I would do something with technology later. But I was no again. I just nothing was serious at that point in my life. Like I had. Did no, it even seem like a
0: plausible job at that point?
1: I don't know. It didn't seem real. You know what I mean? It seemed sure. like this idea of a job, yeah. but I had no idea what the job would mean what the job would entail like it was it was this kind of like vague concept of a job but i I never i never really spent time thinking about it i did a lot of tech stuff like i built you know uh my own pcs in college and some more hardware I guess but like physically putting to get you know buying stuff on Amazon and then assembling it in my dorm room it, that's you know I mean it's not like I got into soldering or I, I never got into any electrical engineering stuff I never got into really into the programming stuff I just kind of it was like expensive Legos basically. yeah I mean that's
0: fellow Texan Michael Dell got to start that way right you could have been Michael Dell.
1: I could have been this close.
0: <laughs> I did something similar. I was building like PC clones when I was in high school, and yeah, for other people, and they basically were happy to get IBM PC clones at right. like a third of the price. But then I was—I don't know if you have this experience—you end up fixing them constantly.
1: Yeah, constantly. Yeah, they break, and I feel bad, and you know, it's a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> in retrospect. So then I end up dropping out of college and I'm waiting tables and uh, bartending and just trying to make rent Mm -hmm. and uh, decided that I just had to make a big change in my life. Like I was just kind of like circling the drain, so -hmm. to speak. You know, it's just a crappy relationship and in a crappy place financially and just bad, 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 bad all around. Um, so I decided that I had to make a big change and I decided that uh, what I needed to do is I needed to get out of Texas. Like that was set in my head. It was like if I can just get as far away from here as possible, then my life will get as far away from here as possible, that kind of thing. Interesting. So I started thinking about it and like over this course of time, I, I had started just – I was buying DVDs constantly. Like that's honestly where almost all of my money <laughs> in, the, in that in that period of time where I was like in and around college – I was just buying DVDs. Just because you are a film buff or you are a collector? Both? Kind of. Kind of a little bit of both. I love movies. I loved movies at that point. I just wanted to see every movie and I wanted to own everything that I was watching. So I was just constantly buying movies, constantly looking for new movies to buy.
0: What are your genres of choice?
1: Uh, Westerns. Huge fan of Westerns. Uh, Sci-fi a bit, but not real deep into it. Uh, and then just kind of drama stuff. I've always liked kind of cerebral drama kind of movies. But so as I'm, as I'm sitting in San Antonio, Texas, kind of having trouble making enough money to eat <laughs> consistently and having this idea of like, well, I just have to leave. And also trying to think about like, well, what am I going to – I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to wait tab- – I never want to wait tables again. That was like a big goal too, right? Mm-hmm. So I decided, I said, you know, I love film. Like, why don't I just go into film? Sure. And that was an easy jump. And he was like, oh, this makes sense. And so I started looking at schools. My mom is actually from Massachusetts, from around the Boston area. And there was a school that I found, my dad found actually, uh, in Waltham, Massachusetts, which is about 10 miles west of Boston, for film. It was like all digital films, a 10-month program. It's not, you know, there were. Uh, part of Boston University but it wasn't main campus. Um this school's actually gone now. They've gone bankrupt. Turns out it was run by a bunch of crooks and <laughs> whatnot. <laughs> but but uh, but at the time it was it was a decent school and so um Did it seem weird
0: to you that you had kind of decided earlier that like a general formal education wasn't what worked for you but then a more specific edu- like I guess I'm wondering as you approach this you're coming at this with education again, right? As mm-hmm. opposed to like just doing the job.
1: Yeah. And that's a constant theme with me, honestly, is, is I, well, I think
0: it's a constant theme with a lot of people. Like, yeah. I think as you start to think about different jobs, education seems like the, the road in.
1: Right. So my thing with college, the reason I didn't do well at college had nothing to do with like intelligence level or like my ability to do the work is flat out interest. I am not good at feigning interest in things that I don't have an interest in, so like I took freshman English three every semester that I was in college I took freshman English the first one like one you know whatever the first just because like I just never did the homework and I always was just like, well, maybe I'll get a a d that like I was just trying to pass it enough to get out of there, you know what I mean like yeah. i I you know I went to Barton school while I was in college and I studied way more for those tests <laughs> than I ever did. One of my my roommate was in my same English class, and he I remember once him making fun of me because I was literally we had a test that day in English, and I was sitting outside the room studying like flashcards of drink like recipes, recipes. <laughs> yeah, because I had a test in that, and he was like, "What the hell are you doing? Like you have a test in this in like ten minutes, and this actually matters." But again, I don't find English interesting enough to study. I found that bartending, for whatever reason, I found it interesting enough to study. Mm-hmm. So dropping out of college made total sense to me because I couldn't get myself excited about going through the two, whatever, you know, two plus years of auxiliary stuff that you have to do mm-hmm. in order to get to the stuff that you actually wanted to learn.
0: Do you think you could have got a bartending job without having gone to bartending school?
1: Yeah. It had no effect in me ending up – I was like a bartender at Chili's. It's not like I was some high-end bartender. It's just that they promoted me from a waiter. You know what I mean? Like bartending school had nothing to do with anything else in the rest of my life. I've forgotten almost all that stuff. This is not – you
0: know. They have squiggly straws. I mean there's a lot of – there's art to be had there. Sure.
1: I just think it's indicative of kind of my attitude towards education as a whole, right? Like sitting outside English class studying the thing that interests me but ultimately doesn't matter – to the detriment of the studying the thing that matters but doesn't interest me. Yeah, you know completely.
0: I mean? I mean, I don't think that you can do a good job at anything if you don't have passion or interest in it. Right. Like, I was doing a job in the pharmaceutical industry, and, you know, I had the daily emails of here's what's been approved and here's what's going through this clinical trial, and I just didn't care. I I had to right. force myself to read it. It was like eating paste. But then I would <laughs> read, like, TechCrunch and Mashable and all things yes. D and be super psyched about it. Yeah, I think everybody has to have passion and interest to be able to do a good job.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, you know, going back to school made sense in my head because right. when, I, when I'm going back to this school, this 10-month program, it's very clear that I'm just going to spend 40 hours a week learning film. I'm like, perfect. That's exactly what I want to do. I don't want to waste my time with all this other stuff. What I want to learn is the real skills that are interesting to me and the real things that are going to help me do the thing that I want to do. Um, so I literally like, I rented an apartment in Waltham off Craigslist site unseen for, uh, God, how much was it? It was like 800 bucks a month, which was the cheapest thing I could find. And it was relatively close to the school. And I threw all of my stuff in a U-Haul trailer and, uh, me and my dad just drove up three days. So it's like January 20th, we leave Texas. Right. So I'm in my hometown on January nineteenth, sitting in the back of my buddy's truck, like in shorts and a T shirt, drinking a beer. And then three days later we show up in Massachusetts in the middle of a blizzard.
0: Like <laughs> This is like a this is like an American dream kind of story. <laughs> yeah, it was you're like, like a, a, just, an early early West settler. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just like delving into the unknown West Exactly, exactly. Having I do, no I idea mean, what to do, not yeah, having yeah. any idea if you're gonna survive. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's it exactly. I, I signed a 10-month lease. I was only supposed to be in Massachusetts for 10 months. Um, my idea was to come up here, go to film school, learn this, and then do something. Whether sure. it was – whether like I wasn't going to stay in Massachusetts. But it was going to be maybe I moved back to Texas. That was always a thing that was in my head. Maybe I move to the West Coast. I don't know. You know, It was just like – Let's I'm just focus gonna go. on this step now. Exactly. And then
0: – worry about the next step later but knowing that then this current step will enable you to have broader choices
1: absolutely i go to the film school and uh i do okay i was a decent uh shooter you know i did i was a decent camera op horrible writer really good technically at the editing right like i i took to the editing software very very well and had very strong technical affinity for the software that we were using and I think I was a good aesthetic editor as well, personally. But, like, I, I don't know. I was always better at the tech than I was probably the aesthetics around the around it. So, you know, needless to say, like, I never left, I haven't left Massachusetts since. I've actually never, haven't left Waltham since. I've been in Waltham like since. Like never, like you work remotely from Waltham. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, you know, I, I've, I haven't moved out of Waltham. The closest I got was moving to North Waltham, which, <laughs> you know, could be a different town, but isn't. But I've just been there for like eight years now. Right out of film school, I got a job at the school as a TA, Again I was kind of in this broke situation and got a job as a TA just kind of randomly uh, I was actually stopping off there on my way to like Blockbuster to see if they would give me a job just cuz I needed some money coming in and one of my old teachers was like hey do you want to come on as a TA So when saying, you yes. finish
0: when you finish school mm-hmm. are they helping you to interview and like are they uh, are you now thinking about like where what industries oh, do I want to work in and where I is was. the best place for that and what are the kind of jobs I can
1: yeah. get? Yeah, I spent a lot of time um, – there's a company called Central Booking here in Massachusetts, which is literally just like one do- – at least at the time, it was just this one dude in an office at a audio-video rental facility and he basically runs the – at, again at the time i don't know i have no idea if it's like this anymore but he basically ran the film industry in boston like anybody that was anybody coming to town would go through him that's where they'd hire shooters or you know assistant directors grips whatever people to work on set so i signed up with central booking shelling out however much that was a month you know to get referrals i did a few jobs so i ended up getting a full-time job at the school Uh, as a TA, Mm -hmm. and doing some freelance stuff on the side. Moved from the TA job into a job where I was doing a lot of marketing videos for the school. And that's actually, I started getting back into programming that early. So that was like five, five years ago.
0: Is it the editing software and kind of what that's tickling that's starting to get you back into
1: programming? It was automation, honestly. It was seeing inefficiencies in my workflow. And wanting to fix those inefficiencies through automation. Mm-hmm. So, like an example is like I had an Apple script that I had wrote. It was a lot of Apple script that I was writing at this point. So, mm-hmm. I wrote this Apple script to i I'd hit render right on a video. So i I'd, I'd be I'd edit a video and I'd hit render. Uh, and I was using I was using Avid at the time. So this little modal window would pop up like a, with a progress bar, and then I'd start this script and the script would check every second i think it would check the view hierarchy in avid to see if that little modal window existed and as soon as it checked and didn't find it it would switch over to skype and send me a text message through skype to let me know <laughs> to let me know that my render is done So that meant I could hit render, and the renders would take, you know, these were renders that were taking like thirty minutes long because I was doing a bunch of uh, graphics work or whatever. So I'd hit like render, and I'd just go across the street and hang out at the bar, (laughs) yeah, yeah, or or or, you know, go walk around and hang out, talk to friends in the equipment room, or just do whatever, just do anything else, not sit there, not sit there and stare at a screen. And then all of a sudden, I get a text message, and it's like your render is done. It's like oh cool, and then I go back and do that, and so. That kind of ballooned into um, heavier scripting things. Like I wrote a script for the school that to generate all their user IDs because the person that was that was creating all the user IDs, like literally the physical cards that you would carry around, mm-hmm. um, got fired, and she was doing it all by hand in Photoshop, just like dropping stuff in. Sure. And I was like, "Well, that's stupid." It's like I can do this. So I spent like a week. No one knew where my office was, so no one had any kind of idea what I was doing back in this office that that's most beautiful, people by the way if you can yeah. ever have
0: an office where no one knows oh, where it's you the are that's best
1: yeah i was like back underneath this staircase you know <laughs> in, like in this random building like no one knew and a lot of people knew that i worked at the school no one knew what i did <laughs> no yeah. one knew.
0: you're literally the person under the stairs
1: yeah so and so since since that was the case like it gave me a lot of time to experiment and play around with this stuff mm-hmm. so i wrote the script that scripted photoshop in conjunction you know took a folder of photos and a csv generated from them the student database mm-hmm. and join that data together in photoshop in a template file and then shot that off to a printer so it took what she, you know it used to take this other lady like two weeks no two months to get student ids out and they could have them out like next day after i you know so i wrote this thing and i actually ended up selling it to them which was Fairly shady on my part, but, <laughs> but I, ended up, I ended up selling it to them and they used it for years, this Apple script that just continued to keep working. Now,
0: at this point, do you feel like a programmer?
1: No, no, not at all. You're just no. a
0: guy who's kind of hacking around and, yeah. and just mm-hmm. cutting corners and automating things wherever you can.
1: Right, right. I knew that what I was doing seemed like magic to pretty much everyone I knew, mm-hmm. but I didn't consider it as being real... Real, period. You know what I mean? I didn't think I thought it was just kind of this goofy, you know, AppleScript is such a weird language, it doesn't feel like you're really doing anything anyway. I don't know. It's I had this I had this idea in my head that since I wasn't creating anything new, since all these things that I was doing, all they were doing, they were adding glue layers between other people's software mm-hmm. that what I was doing wasn't actual development work. Sure. You know what I mean? Which isn't entirely true. Right.
0: Now, where are you in terms of frustration with what you – where you wanted to be and what you were aiming to do and kind of how much you're enjoying working at the school and kind of taking gigs here and there?
1: Um, Yeah, really, really frustrated. My film career just wasn't moving in the direction that I thought I was going to move in. I wasn't doing anything that I was proud of. The freelance jobs that I was getting just weren't living up to my expectations and there weren't a whole bunch of them and it wasn't like all of a sudden I was – you know, on set every day, hanging out with fun people, doing interesting things. It was just like this very big kind of like letdown. I ended up leaving that job and I got a full-time job as an editor at a company um, even further west editing um, basically car review videos. So like little one minute to three minute long videos on a specific year make model of a car with some voiceover. And I stayed there for four years, and that's probably what really kind of burned me out in the film industry because it was very much a factory line kind of thing. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It was every single month we were doing – if you were in charge of the two-minute video, you were doing 15 of them. If you were in charge of the one-minute video, you were doing 30 of them every month, every single month, just every day just cranking out as many of these as you can and they were very formulaic and very it got to be the point where you could you could edit these without thinking yeah you know what i mean
0: and it's it's lacking in this what appears to be like a creative element which is 100%. something that
1: you're 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 aiming for 100% yeah you know i had a boss that was very overbearing very micromanaged everything uh, we had offices which it, like I insisted upon all the ed- I I ended up very quickly becoming the senior editor just because the guy ahead of me quit <laughs> uh, so all of a sudden all of a sudden I'm the most senior person on the staff and I insisted that editors have their own space because you don't really want to edit with headphones you want to be editing with speakers if you're doing I wanted us to be doing things the right way
0: mm-hmm. and it's hard particularly when you get into those comfortable roles because you have a regular job right and you're sort mm-hmm. of Advancing within that job, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I had this happen to me a couple of times where I'm like I'd be crazy to do something different, right yep. like I'm getting paid and I have benefits and health care and yep you know why would I do something different? I don't know if you had the same experience
1: absolutely, and I kept getting promoted and I kept getting raises, and I kept getting more responsibility, and I didn't like enjoy any of it, you know right. except for the the extra money, you know every time I got a raise, he was like okay, and now this is the most I've ever been paid for anything in my time. You know, this is like sure. basically my first real job. Mm-hmm. You know, the school stuff was there, but before that, it was all service industry. Like I had, I had my first job when I was 15, you know what I mean? But it, but it was like lifeguarding and waiting tables and scooping ice cream and all that kind of stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? So this is like, you know, I'm finally inside an organization and – Every time I got a promotion, it was like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like that, it, you know, the recognition felt good, but, it, uh, you know, but then reality would set in and it's like, but the, the work still sucks and I don't enjoy the job. And I found myself less and less interested in bringing in freelance editing projects mm-hmm. or going out on freelance shoots and Found myself less and less interested with the things that I used to be very interested in: camera technology and editing software technology. Right. Just getting disillusioned with everything.
0: So then you hit some some wall again.
1: Honestly, for those four years, he was just constantly pushing the mm-hmm. wall back, inch by inch. Like I, I was, I was up against a wall almost that entire time. I I had uh, we're on iOS eight now. So this is four years ago. What year is that? Twenty ten? Mm-hmm. I guess. Somewhere around there.
0: That's what the maths say.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which was about two years into this job. Um, I would still been doing uh some Apple script scripting and I'd kinda gotten into some Ruby stuff, a little bit of Python stuff.
0: How did you get into Ruby or Python?
1: Like Uh, Through scripting, again, I just wanted to do things that AppleScript wasn't capable of. So Mm -hmm. I started looking and I had this vague awareness of scripting languages as being a thing. I don't remember specifically how I ended up hitting Python first. Don't remember exactly what led me to Python. But then that led me to Ruby because I just kept hearing about Ruby. Mm. I may have this out of order. I may have started with Objective-C before that, which is weird.
0: But how are you approaching this? I guess you you have AppleScript to start with as an mm-hmm. analog, mm-hmm. and then are you approaching it by saying like, oh, I know that this is how we would do this in AppleScript, and so how yeah, would you do I, this in Ruby? So I, you have I, you kind of bounce back and forth? Yeah. I okay. knew
1: basics like conditionals and loops and variables, and most of that early stuff was very, very procedural. And then I figured out how to do methods, not objects, but just essentially functions and Started kind of stringing that kind of stuff together. And then kind of when I did get into Objective-C. So at some point about in 2010, I decided that I was going to write an iPhone app uh, to track beers that you like. So I was getting into beer at the time and like everything in my life, like when I get a little bit interested in something, I get a lot interested in it. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of like dove in headfirst and I was like, I'm just going to keep a log of every single beer that I drink and with ratings and tasting notes and everything just so that I can learn beer culture and, and get into beer.
0: I think this is a theme also. Like I think having yeah a kind of passion toy project that you are interested in is a great focusing tool for learning to be a developer. For me, I had a book recommendation thing I was working on with a buddy, and that was a nice focusing tool to go back and forth from manuals and tutorials and things like that, which are a little bit rote and maybe you're building a Twitter clone or a blog or I don't know what the analogous application is in iOS development. And then I could go back and apply that to the toy project.
1: Yeah. No, I I think that's exactly what I was doing. You know, the kind of hello world kind of thing for iOS project is absolutely some kind of catalog app. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I need to add new things to a list and I need to add details to those things. That's a very, very common, very, very simple problem to solve. Not simple problem, but it's kind of the base level problem to solve on iOS. So luckily, like, you know, that's. The basically the app that I decided to build. So I had started looking at tutorials online and trying to figure out this weird language that's the first real language that I'm learning. You know what Mm. I mean? Because I'm basically coming in a little, little, little bit of JavaScript. Maybe I had touched Python. I don't think I had gotten into Ruby at that point, but and then AppleScript, you know what I mean? Just jump straight from that into. Objective C and having to teach myself about pointers and we didn't have arcs. So it was all manual memory management and Lord. (laughs) Yeah. Just, (laughs) just right in the deep end of the pool with this stuff. You know what I mean? And like,
0: it's, it's worse than the deep end of the pool. It's like the pool opens up into the ocean and there's a riptide that pulls you like a mile out to sea.
1: Yeah, you know, so just trying to learn, and Xcode, this isn't when it was Xcode 3, and so it was like Xcode and Interface Builder were broken apart into two different applications, and it was like a whole, it was a nightmare, honestly. Looking back on it, I'm very surprised that I stuck with it, you know what I mean? Uh, Are you
0: on your own at this point? Or like, completely in a vacuum. You don't have other people around you and watch City, Waltham to do iOS stuff
1: with? I don't know a single other developer, not mm-hmm. one like period, not online, not in person. None of my friends know what the hell I'm talking about. Like I said, it's all just magic to them. One of my friends actually said that to me at one point. He was like, he's like, I think what you're doing is awesome because as far as I'm concerned, everything you're doing is just magic. And I didn't know that like people could actually do this stuff. I thought it just kind of appeared. I think
0: that's something that's really common as well where – I think you can see other jobs and in other industries. I listen to a lot of podcasts about comedians like uh, Mark Maron's podcast. And mm-hmm. oftentimes when they sort of tell this journey story and at the beginning, it's they always look at comedians and go, oh, I love comedy. But that didn't seem like a job I could do. Like there's <laughs> another job that exists on this other island, but there's no bridge between
1: you and that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're,
0: you're slaving away, you know, and this yeah. is this is in your spare time, I assume.
1: In my spare time. And the funny thing that started to happen was I found myself blowing off my actual work in order to sneak in more time on the iOS stuff. Like I even at one point pitched an iOS app to um, my company where we were a video company, you know what I mean? So the iPhone was now going into its fourth generation. And I thought, we should have our own iPhone app where you could pull up all of our videos and user submitted videos on our, they this wacky social network thing because everyone has a social network thing. Um, and so I thought that would be a good thing for the company to have is like a mobile presence and a, and a presence on iOS where you could view uh, videos and stuff like that. So I, I mocked up a Uh, Very simple like RSS reader application for them, pitched it to the company. You know, I say company, was like literally seven people. It's not like, you know, we were some big corporation. My boss was two doors down. And you're already the like tech genius in the whole company. so Right. I was running all the servers. That was actually interesting. I mean, at, at that point, I think we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 terabytes of network storage, huge fiber network going through all these editing offices. Jeez. And so I was like the de facto sysadmin for all that stuff too, which really sucked.
0: I wonder if that's how all sysadmins end up in that role.
1: <laughs> yeah, just they, they're doing something else, but they yeah. happen to know more than anyone else and right. so yeah. They just,
0: you know, in their office under the stairs.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then 10 years later they wake up and they're like, "Ah, oh, crap, I'm a sysadmin, aren't I?" <laughs> So I'm I'm the de facto assisted man. I'm already kind of like the tech nerd in the office. Does it occur
0: to you at this point that this could be a job that you do?
1: Mm -mm. No. I kept this story in my head about what development actually looked like on a day to day basis. And And the story the story that I told myself was basically Office Space. You know, (laughs) sitting in sitting in (laughs) cubicles, sitting in cubicles, being told. Write this code now, and then you sit it's there. the Y two K problem. And yeah, and then you sit there and you type out. Like I remember having conversations about this with my parents, and and they're like, you know, you're really, you know, you're fairly good at this stuff, and you seem to take to it pretty well. Maybe is this something you know, just kind of they're trying to gently nudge me. This is you know further back when I'm floundering like an idiot in Texas. They're like trying to gently push me over to programming. And I kept saying like, I don't want to no. work for that Lumberg guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, I specifically remember saying things like, Oh, well, you know, I, if I'm going to build something, I want it to be something that I want to build. I don't want a job where I have to build things for other people. Right. Sure. That I don't, I don't want to build other people's ideas because my whole concept of that was just like, seriously, sitting in cube farms, typing out, I don't even know what I assume people were typing out. So I had it. So I told myself this story that, Programming was just a hobby for me and that my passion was film, right? Mm-hmm. This is a story that I just tell myself consistently over the six years. Programming is a hobby. My passion is film. And me- meanwhile, like I'm, I'm continuously trying to bring more development into my, my day-to-day life. I'm constantly reading about it. I'm constantly like looking into the tech sector specifically, like just reading about technology, you know, new iPhone, new Android, whatever I was into at the moment. Now, I'm writing this iPhone app, I'm trying to pitch them another iPhone app. I started writing more Ruby scripts and applications for the company. So, you know, they were doing all this imagery sizing. So I wrote a small Cocoa app, you know, Mac application that did all their imagery sizing for them and was scalable. Like you could add new clients to it and remove them. And it was like kind of nice. And then I wrote like a batch file renamer.
0: Oh, that's, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, bash file or Mac application. I did that one in Mac Ruby actually. So I wrote that one in Ruby. Nice. Um, I did that in which... Perl long time ago. <laughs> nice. It was a horrible idea to do in Mac Ruby because that just broke with it. That at that point Mac Ruby required like basically hacking Xcode. So every time you upgraded Xcode, it broke every. It like you couldn't build your software anymore. That was it. You, you're done. You had to like rehack Xcode. It's a nightmare. And to their. Credit, Like, they were letting me do these things. They mm. were saying – I was saying, hey, I wanted, I want to spend some time working on this thing that was not video editing and had no bearing on the company's bottom line except for the fact that I knew that I could speed up the process of doing some things. Mm-hmm. For example, I walked down the hall one day and I realized that everyone was just sitting in front of Excel, like three people in the office – And this is like the second day running that this was happening. They were sitting in Excel. Uh, What were they doing? Oh, they had like Finder open in this window and they were writing stuff in an Excel spreadsheet, right, in another window. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the hell are you guys? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what the hell are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're creating a – we need to create a catalog of all of these video assets because we're going to try to sell them as a – because we had – we shot our own video of our own cars, right? So like I said – 150-something terabytes of car footage that, you know, that's a really valuable asset for Mm -hmm. someone in this space. Like sure, HD footage that we shot of cars in L.A. and here in Massachusetts, insanely valuable. Mm -hmm. And they wanted a cat, but we never cataloged that stuff. We did have a naming convention so that you could look at a name and you could see what the shot was based on the name. But there was no index of these anywhere. I see where this is going. So they were going they were going through my boss's idea was just okay, you three <laughs> <laughs> take some time, you know, and they're they're just freaking out because it's just year, you know, again. Oh, it's mind numbing. <laughs> well, and it's it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these files and they have to write down the year, make, model, you know, and then shot descriptions they have to write all this stuff down in the spreadsheet. And I'm going like, you know, this is insane, right? And I was like, give me like, I don't know, two hours. <laughs> I was like, can I have two hours? <laughs> They're like, yeah, I guess. I was like, don't just stop what you're doing, just give me two hours. And I go and I kind of close my door, and then like two hours later, I had this like really rudimentary Ruby script that recursively searched through the footage directories and generated a XML uh, CSV. Actually, generated a CSV so you can of, import
0: that back into Excel,
1: right? It generated a CSV <laughs> of year. Ma- All they wanted actually was a CSV, they didn't want an Excel. That's just sure the program that you make csv yeah it
0: should be called csv
1: generator (laughs) right so two hours later i came back with this script that had you know i was like here you go here's your catalog (laughs) you know it's like and so i just kept trying to do those kind of things you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and you know it wasn't a product that we could sell but it was so much more efficient every every one of these things i was doing was just so much more efficient they were willing to let me as I saw it at the time, kind of waste my time. Because for me, this was just playing around. I was just having sure. fun. You know, I was just having fun hacking on stuff.
0: But from their perspective, you just freed up three people's time for weeks God knows how long. Weeks, yeah. I mean, yeah. that is from any, regardless yeah. of how skilled of a manager you are, anybody's going to look at that and go, yeah, Gordon, whatever you want to do, <laughs> yeah,
1: keep it yeah. up. Yeah, Huge, hugely valuable, hugely valuable. But I'm still kind of going down this career path saying like, no, you know, I'm going to do film editing and this is just this is just play stuff. You know, it's like if I'm having that much fun doing it, it can't be be (laughs) (laughs) like, why would someone pay me to do this? That's stupid. Like it would would be asinine to pay me for this stuff that I just kind of do anyway. That that doesn't make any sense. You know, so I, I was there for four years and I remember just being in the shower at one point and just being like what the hell is wrong with me <laughs> just kind of had this like this is all backwards you know what i mean if anything if anything and i really had at this point very little interest in film as a as anything right mm-hmm. but but you know if anything film is the hobby here and you know sure. i would consistently blow off film editing in order to work on some script or to work on an iphone app mm-hmm. i never once said I could work on that iPhone app, but I'd really like to edit this car video <laughs> instead. Right. You know what I mean? Are
0: you sick of looking at cars at this
1: point? Oh, horribly sick. I mean, it's okay now. It's been a couple of years, but, but you know, just I I was so – because I don't really have an interest in cars and I kind of had to feign one for four years. And then you just inundated with car stuff and you kind of get used to the jargon and yeah. start noticing stuff and – I was so happy when I left that job to just be able to turn that part of my brain off and just not I was like, Oh God, thank you. I don't have to care about cars anymore. This is this is great. It's just again, it's like a whole part of my brain that's just freed up to do other more interesting stuff.
0: So you have this epiphany. And then where does it this is sort of epiphany number two, where you're like mm-hmm. and at this point mm-hmm. are you like, I need to move as far away from Waltham, Massachusetts <laughs> as possible?
1: No, 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 no. I was I think I had just gotten married and we we're living in Waltham but I knew that if I was going to actually do this, I needed to actually learn some things because like I knew some stuff, but what I knew was all ta- self-taught and learned in a vacuum. And I was very aware that there were just very large holes in my knowledge. So if anything, I kind of got worse at my job, you know, that I was getting paid to do just because I just really doubled down and I said, I <laughs> I have this epiphany in the shower I get out of the shower I go and tell my wife I'm like I have something I want to talk to you about I, I think I want to change careers. She's like, "Really? What do you want to do?" I was like, "I think I want to stop doing film. I think I want to get into development." She goes, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense." It's like <laughs> <laughs> for me this is like this big life-changing moment that I just had like lights turned on everywhere and it was like this big deal and she was like, "Yeah, of course." Like, like, I was the only one, like, every single one of my friends was like, they weren't impressed at all. They weren't surprised. Like right. no, one, no one was blown away. Everyone was just, apparently everyone was, like, sitting around waiting for this to happen. My parents were like, yeah, no, thanks, good. Yeah, we tried, you know, years ago we tried to get you to do this, but. Yeah, you know. I,
0: I had the exact same experience when I switched out of management consulting into trying to be a developer And I told my family, and they said the exact same thing. They're like, well, we tried to talk you into doing this in college. (laughs) What was with all that science stuff? And I'm like, are you serious? What revisionist history? And it, it is annoying because everybody's like, yes, obviously. Yeah. Why has this not occurred to you sooner?
1: Right, right. And you're like, why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> right. Well, people did tell me. Like, people legitimately told me. Like, oh, okay, I had friends. Like, when I was writing that beer app, I had friends that were like, "You should quit film and like, literally were just saying like, <laughs> like if you quit film and just focus on this, you, that would not be crazy." And I was like, yeah, whatever. And yeah. Like, you know, keep just move the conversation along. So sure, uh, you know, I don't know. I just didn't see it for whatever reason. And I think a lot of it is. Um, It gets down to like imposter syndrome stuff, which, you know, I I was doing these things, but everything I did, I convinced myself somehow that it was, well, obviously this is bad or obviously it's not real. Like what I'm doing isn't real development. You know what I mean? Like I, like I said, that whole story I told myself when I was kind of learning initially that, well, all I'm doing is kind of gluing these two things together. That's not, that's not interesting. That's not important. Anyone can do this. You know.
0: Would it have helped if you had, Interacted with any other iOS developers at this hugely. point, hugely, like just to go massively. meet up and have a coffee.
1: Yeah, massively. I just I don't think I had any awareness that that was a possibility. I had no awareness of meetup groups. I had no awareness of kind of any of that stuff. I mm-hmm. just and and the one I was aware of Cocoa heads here in Boston. I was aware of them early on, just from podcasts with tech people that I listened to from the area, but. I was scared off from going. I, I Because, again, I, the story I was telling myself was that, you know, what I'm doing isn't real. It isn't interesting. They're not going to want me there. Right. You know what I mean? That was a scary thing. Like, people actually doing this job, like, they wouldn't want to talk to me. They wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. So I end up, you know, just kind of doubling down. I took a bunch of courses in Ruby, which really helped. Where did you take kinda, courses? Uh, Pragmatic Studio. Like, not in person. Like, all everything I was doing was on the web. So the pragmatic programmers, those guys, Mm. they have a video thing and they released a Ruby course because I liked Ruby. And so I kind of doubled down on learning Ruby, um, which is ironic given that (laughs) I ended up back in Objective-C. But I had a very good grasp of Objective-C somehow early on. And Ruby helped me learn like object-oriented design Mm. and uh, it got me aware of testing, although I had no idea how to do it. You know, and so doubling down on that stuff helped my overall programming chops, and I was just constantly kind of trying to learn as much as possible. I was going to night classes back at the school that I that I originally went to for web development, and it was like PHP and MySQL, and horrible it was <laughs> huge Lamps. waste of time. Huge waste of time. Yeah, I love Lamp Stack. <laughs> yeah, and then going on job interviews, like I just tried to go on as many job interviews as I could. What and, kind of jobs? Uh, everything. Uh, a lot of Ruby on Rails development mm-hmm. stuff. Um, if I got in the door, like I would get relatively far until we get to, you know, just the core competency stuff mm-hmm. just because like I, I still don't know Ruby on Rails. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy to me that I was looking for Ruby Re, Ruby on Rails jobs at that point, but... I think it was just that was a matter of those were the jobs that I was seeing. Sure. You know, I think I would have applied. Oh, I did. I did apply for some from I, some iOS developer jobs, too, and I got some interviews. And it always came down to an experience level thing, right? That Catch-22 about, you know, every job that I was looking at, they wanted someone with a certain level of experience, and I didn't have that experience because I couldn't get any of these jobs, jobs that would yeah. give me that experience. You yeah. know what I mean? It's and one I of the was, worst
0: things about... Not just our industry, but every industry is. Yes. Yeah. It really it prevents people from getting in, you know, and, and it's it's myopic yeah. too. I mean, the way mm-hmm. that we hire here is really based on your work, mm-hmm. but also some vague guess of what your ceiling is or what your trajectory is and say, yes. you know, this person is not an A-plus programmer now, but I see, I can connect two dots and draw a slope and see that they're going to be there eventually or soon. Yeah. And that I think is is not something that most people do. Not in not in our industry or any industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've told people as recently as like last week that I was talking to on Twitter. Someone was talking about a job and they said they were they were like, you know, I'd apply to that, except for that they say that you need three years of experience. I was like, screw that, man. Apply. Like just apply to that. Like what's the worst and this is this is kind of the stance I had to take with myself when I was kind of doing this was like, what's the worst that's going to happen? The worst thing that's going to happen is I'm not going to get that job, which is exactly where I am now. Right. So that was kind of my approach to looking for jobs was I was going to be very picky about where I was going to work. Mm-hmm. I would refuse to apply to big corporations or anything that I viewed as like that kind of office space kind of scenario. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, I refused to go backwards in that way. I wasn't willing to make the sacrifice of having a job that I enjoyed for being in the field that I wanted to be in.
0: Now, are you at this point feeling encouraged? The fact that you're getting interviews starts to put a little wind in your sails.
1: Yeah. Uh, both. So yeah, it was, it was encouraging and deeply, deeply depressing at the same time (laughs) because, because I was meeting all these companies and meeting all these people and I was getting along with everybody. Like I remember one job, interview here where i i I got all all the way i paired for a full day at the company and ended up you know having beers downstairs at the bar with the owner of the company it was like a little consulting shop here in town Uh, you know i'm having beers with the owner downstairs at the bar and then i still don't get that job and it's like obviously like my personality isn't an issue it's just my knowledge level my experience level and it's like it, it was frustrating that I couldn't seem to catch up. Mm You know what I mean?
0: So you can see within reach is the thing that you want, but it's just out of reach.
1: Yeah, inconsistently out of reach. You know what I mean? And I tried to stay positive and I tried to take every single interview that I made it that far in as a learning opportunity. Right. You know, so that one specifically, I got crushed. The the company used Vim and it crushed me. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it was horrible. Like, I was merciless. I was flound well, and it was worse because one of the guys I paired with, he was using Vim inside Tmux with custom key bindings and his latency turned way down. And I couldn't touch type at that point. Yeah, that's so me, by the like, way.
0: That horrible person is also me. <laughs> oh my god though. I was just like I was <laughs> sorry like, this
1: everybody is, it was just so demoralizing because I felt like I couldn't even show whether or not I knew how to write code because I spent all my time fighting with the tools. Mm. You know what I mean? But I left that job interview, and I immediately started teaching myself how to touch type, and I immediately threw away TextMate and Sublime Text. I just threw them in the trash and installed Vim, and it was just like, you're using Vim now. You're touch typing now. That sucked. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. So, you know, take that and, and learn from it.
0: Well, One thing I've seen, just in hearing the story so far, there's a lot of grit involved. Like, there's a lot of, well, I'm just going to fight through it, or I'm just mm. going to force myself to do this thing yeah i mean i think it's partly it's a character trait but also it's like a behavior that you learn Mm Do you have any thoughts on that
1: uh i don't know i have a fairly obsessive personality like i said earlier and it helps and it hurts right because there are things that i get very interested in like very 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 interested in for a very short amount of time and it looks like this is a thing that i do and i internalize all these things as well you know so like you know, uh, fi- I mean, film editing or the bartending school is a great example of that, right? I was like, bartending, this is fun. And I like internalized that and I obsessed over it. And then it was just like, okay, that's done. You know, spend, a- spend some money on bartending school, spend a lot of time there, and then kind of was done with that and kind of closed that chapter and moved on. But when I was doing that, you know, I get really, really into it. And I just spend all my time thinking and obsessing about that stuff.
0: Maybe the thread is that the things that you get really excited about are things that you really want to do, not things that you feel like you need to do or yeah. should
1: do. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's it, almost exactly. So you're learning Vim. God bless so you. <laughs> I'm learning, so I'm learning Vim, and I keep going on job interviews, and it got to the point where I saw kind of the writing on the wall, which was that you know I needed to take a step back and uh, not reevaluate. Like I wasn't taking a step back in order to uh, look at a different career or maybe this isn't for me but take a step back and say like kind of collect my thoughts on in my notes on you know the past I, This has been six months that I've been kind of like intensive studying just like constantly like all day and all night reading as much as I could and trying to learn as much as I could and then going on phone calls and you know Skype calls and On site meetings and just every kind of job interview, whiteboard stuff, like everything. Um, For about six months, I was doing all that stuff. And I was like, okay, you know what? I need to double down on this learning again. You know, I really did say, like, I'm going to take another six months off of applying to places, I'm going to try to fill these holes. In my knowledge base,
0: which people are telling you, you have in the interviews, right? So it makes sense that you would kind of bounce back and go, okay, well, I am interested in this. I am passionate about this. Now I have a sense of what people are looking for. And,
1: and I actually explicitly asked, I don't think most people do this, and I did, and I, I got good results from it. And I don't care if they considered it rude or sometimes I didn't hear back, but I was never surprised, honestly deep down when I didn't get these jobs, it never was like, that's shocking. How did I not get that job? Cause it was always again, imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? I never deserved any of the jobs in the first place. So why would they give them to me? So when I didn't get the jobs, I said, you know, always was like, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. This is something I really want to do. This is something that I'm dead set on doing this as a career. Can you help me? Like, what are things that I need to Focus on, like, mm-hmm. what, what are things that didn't get me the job? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if it was just experience level, like, that's not something I can fix. Well, it's, but, not,
0: it's not a satisfying answer, and it's not actionable at all.
1: No, it's like, okay, I, that's, I can't do anything with that. But there There's were no time a number, machine handy, right? Yeah, I did get a number of responses back. They were like, well, you know, when we asked you this and you said this, that showed your lack of knowledge because of this. You know what I mean? It's like, cool. There is a thing that I can – there's a, just a thing that I can go and I can study that. And I can – next time when I go for that interview, that won't be the reason. Right. You know? So I had a number of these things in my head. Um, testing was a big one. Better OO design. These things that I wanted to get better at. So I was like, I'm just going to take a step back and focus on learning that and then try again Right. <laughs> basically. You know, so I I make that decision and then randomly get an email from Chad, (laughs) Chad Pytel, our CEO, from through Stack Overflow careers, because I had just randomly updated my Stack Overflow career profile like two days earlier to add some like open source stuff that I was playing around with. And so I had like Ruby stuff on there and Objective-C stuff on there. And so he messaged me. About that, and then I started interviewing here, and it was just kind of this random. Like I knew who Thoughtbot was. I was listening to the I was listening to Giant Robots podcast, and it was like I just made this decision to take six months off of applying, and then I get an email, and it's like, Hey, this is Chad, I'm the CEO of Thoughtbot. I was like, What is that? What is happening right now? Like this is just kind of the, you know, it was very lucky on my part. But it goes back to what you were saying about our hiring process, and that you know you kind of try to buy low. <laughs> a little bit you know what i mean i mean not like in a not in an actual monetary sense but like
0: well less by low at, like to trying to get a bargain but more to predict you yes. know you can after years of doing anything and interacting with other people you can spot right. character traits and abilities and just even just through a conversation or pairing right. with somebody you can tell where someone is that's mm-hmm. patently obvious right away but also what their aptitude is to learn and get better. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think Stack Overflow is an interesting positive signal of this. Were you as active on Stack Overflow as Mark was?
1: Oh, not nearly. I'm active, but like I'm in the hundreds, not the multiple thousands. Well,
0: either way, I mean, it's it's a question and answer site where you're engaging in a community where you're trying to help other people, but you're also always in there, at least Mm -hmm. I am, trying to Mm -hmm. find answers. Right. And... There's sort of the low level of fixing the problem that you have right now, but there's also the what's the best way to do this. And when you mm-hmm. find people that are poking at that problem more and more, those are the things that indicate that somebody has what I, I call a high ceiling. The other thing is is like some of the things that you're talking about, like uh, like grit, like you kind of mm-hmm. just push through the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one is always, I think Ben always talks about this, is humility. Yeah, Being super upfront with what you don't know yep. and saying like, look, I don't know. But I guarantee that we can figure this out together or give me a, yep. a few minutes and I can figure it out
1: yeah, and that was another that was another thing that I was very conscious of in the interview process. The last thing that one of my fears everything about basically my life comes back to imposter syndrome, but this like specifically like I had this deep fear of getting a job because I accidentally answered something correctly, <laughs> oh yeah me I mean? too <laughs> like 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 they were going to answer and I was going to be like Uh, guess, and they're going to be like, bam, you nailed it. (laughs) Congratulations, you're now the President of the United States. (laughs) Exactly. And then I'm going to show up on Monday and just not have any clue what to do. So I wanted to be very upfront with all these people because that was an actual fear that I had. I had the same one. Which, again, in hindsight, like that's a ludicrous fear. You can tell when people are guessing at stuff. You can tell when people are like, Fairly certain he's just repeating stuff back to me that he heard somewhere, not that this is something he's internalizing actually knows.
0: Well, it's, it's ludicrous now, right? When you interview people, the, it seems yeah. obvious like, oh, you can tell this or that. But, I, I mean, I had this experience when I was a, an apprentice at ThoughtBot where every night I would go home and be like, you know what? They're going to realize that I have no idea what I'm doing and I'll never be able to do this job. But <laughs> I should squeeze everything I can out of it today and tomorrow and the next day until yep. I figure it out. So I took this sort of like upbeat <laughs> upbeat version of, of imposter syndrome,
1: which is that was, like – Yeah, that was my first six months at the company. And that was – the entire hiring process for me was like Chad emailed me and so then I had – he was like I'd like to see some code for a review. And so I sent him this beer app that I was doing and I specifically said, please don't look at master <laughs> – please look at this other branch and it was goose that reviewed the code and he absolutely just looked at master like apparently that just didn't come across so so i get on this call with him where he's doing code review and it's immediately obvious that he's looking at what i at that point had considered bad code which was you know even the code that i was showing like if i'm looking back on it now was horrible code hmm. at that point i thought that what he looked at was really bad right so i'm like well this is this is done you know it's like this is as far as i'm going to get here but I go through the whole call and you know try to be upfront and again upfront and honest about what I know and what I don't know and answering questions about my code, and we end the call. I was like, "Well, that was fun, but that's the end of, that's the end of that. you know I'm the, there's no way they're going to call me back again." And then all of a sudden I get a call back and it's like or an email, and it's like, "Hey, you know we'd love to have you come in for a non-technical interview." And I was like weird but okay (laughs) i was like okay cool yeah (laughs) i was was like i guess i'll you know i'll go meet chad and i'll see the thoughtbot office that'll be fun you know so i go so i come here and i talk to chad and leave there and i was like well that was cool you know i'm glad i know where this place is and never gonna be here again but and then i get another freaking email and they're like we would love for you to come back in to pair with goose for a day and i'm just like what? Like why? Like why? Like I couldn't see it at that point. You know what I mean?
0: Did you consider advising them not to?
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, well, no. I had this whole backup plan. I had this whole backup plan where I was positive. Like the entire step, I was like, "Well, they keep bringing me in, but at some point they're going to realize that I have no idea what I'm doing." And and when they <laughs> the do, they're going to say Wearing the no. tie at the computer. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so once they realized this, I had this backup because I knew about Apprentice.io, right? I knew about the Apprentice program. So I was like, I was like, I had this whole plan about. They're going to say no, and then I'm going to say, bring me on as the first iOS apprentice. And then they're going to say, yeah, that's a great idea because that's what I felt like I needed was three months of – just, like, let me learn not in a vacuum. Again, up until this point, like, these are some of the first developers that I've ever talked to in real life. <laughs>
0: Aside from the interviewing that you'd been doing before that.
1: No, no, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Once I started interviewing, that was the first time I had actually spoken to other developers. You ah. know what I mean? Like, this whole process is very new to me. I'm six months away from meeting my first developer ever, you know? Wow. And so all I needed was, like, just a little nudge in the right direction, some mm-hmm. help with that. And then they ended up, you know, I just ended up getting the job. And so it was like my first, but again, my first six months, I don't even think like we do quarterly reviews. And I think my first quarterly review just got skipped. And I was like, "That's fine. Like, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay just like kind of flying under the radar for now, as long as I'm not getting fired. I'm totally happy, you know? Because right. I was again, I was positive. It was like, like I didn't sell my, I had a laptop, like a 2011 MacBook Pro. And I was just like, well, I can't sell that yet because when they fire me, I'm going to have to give this (laughs) one back. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to have to fall back to this one. Right. But it worked out.
0: Yeah. Worked out pretty well. (laughs) It's a good story. Looking at past Gordon, at some point, what would you have done differently? It sounds like you would have met other developers in person at some point.
1: Yeah. When I started this process, I would have again with hindsight i didn't know that imposter syndrome was a thing Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like knowing about imposter syndrome and knowing that that's just kind of
0: everybody has it
1: everybody has it and that's kind of how everybody feels i would have been less reluctant to try to reach out and try to meet new people and try to learn more in person Mm -hmm. um I think that's huge. I think that like going to meetups, going to project nights specifically are huge. Like we do NS Coder night here at the Boston office and like it's always two-thirds people that are brand new to iOS development are just trying to learn. And I wish I had had that experience when I was trying to learn because you can sit down with one of these people that's obviously been learning in a vacuum just like I was and you can go like, okay – Nothing that you're doing is technically wrong, but you can do all these new things instead because documentation gets out of date and tutorials are teaching you the wrong thing. And, you know, there was a guy here last night that had retain and release statements all over his code because the tutorial, he didn't know what they meant, but the tutorial he was following was written pre-ARC and so had manual memory management. So he just wrote them in and then it wouldn't compile and he was like, why the hell not, you know, not learning in a vacuum would have been enormously helpful. Yeah. To me, I, think, you know?
0: I think understanding that everybody has imposter syndrome and also that mostly developers are helpful to other yeah. developers.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially like – They're not
0: going to look down their nose at you and go, oh, my God, what a moron. Well, maybe right. some of them are, but for the most part, people are out there to help you.
1: Right. And enjoy helping. I think a lot of developers enjoy teaching, enjoy helping. I don't think there would be an open source community if that wasn't true. Totally. You know what I mean? Everyone would keep their stuff to themselves if people didn't like helping.
0: So what advice would you have for somebody else in the same boat or similar boat?
1: Try to make connections. Try to meet people in the community that you want to be in and apply to jobs. Don't worry about whether or not you can get it. Uh, This is kind of every field, I think. I think it's important to just apply to jobs. Um, I totally agree. Because, like I said before, the worst thing that's going to happen is you won't get the job and – That's no change from where you are now. But what will happen, you'll either get the job and that'll be great or you'll learn something about yourself in terms of something that, like a hole that you need to fill and something that you need to get better at in order to get a job.
0: And on top of that, I had this experience where I think you get better at interviewing. Like I, after grad school, had no idea what I wanted to do. And Mm -hmm. so I just started applying for every job. Yeah. Regardless of whether I was for it or not, some of them were way out of my league. Some were I was way overqualified. But by the time I got through 20 or 30 of these interviews, I had my story down, Pat, for who I was, what I was interested in doing, and kind of explaining who I was and what value I was going to bring to whoever I was interviewing with. Right. You just get more comfortable, too. You're not right. sweating profusely, needing to bring new shirts in with you. <laughs> right. Right. And I think that that's also valuable. When you are doing all this interviewing, you're just getting better at interviewing. It's just like anything else.
1: Yeah, it's a skill.
0: Well, I think that's all I had in terms of questions. Um, It was a good story, and I'm glad to have you as a colleague. I mean, I think that this kind of stuff really does encourage people to fight through whatever it is that they're doing right now and find something else that might be more interesting.
1: I hope so. And I also understand that, like, it is easier said than done, right? Like, sure. it's it's very easy at this point to just say, ah, just go apply for jobs and <laughs> see what happens, and you know. But I think it actually can be that easy to a certain extent. Like, I think if you just put your mind to it and you just kind of do it, you know, stuff will happen. It'll be good or it'll be bad, but.
0: Totally. Next time on Reboot, I'll be talking to product designer Brenda Storer, Brenda started out as a psychology major in waitressing California before moving to New York City right after 9-11 and finally throwing away her waitressing shoes to work as a web designer. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Our theme music was produced by Don Okuda. Show notes could be found at rebootshow.fm one. Thanks for listening.